Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. I'm Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Together, we're the founders of Good Egg Investments and creators of the Real Estate Accelerator. We help real estate investors and syndicators build their brands, find the right investors for their deals, and scale their businesses so they can do more and bigger deals. We believe that everyone has the power to make an impact through raising capital and helping people achieve financial freedom through real estate. We invite you to join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can amplify our impact together. We know you're going to love this episode. And hey, be sure to stick around to the end of the show because we're going to reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing real estate podcasts on the planet. Ready? Let's go. Welcome back, friends, to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Annie Dickerson, and today I'm thrilled to introduce you to John Cohen. John, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing good. I uh, I appreciate you letting me be on. I know uh, it's been a long time since we spoke, so I'm excited. Oh, yes. And I... Are you kidding? You have so many great insights. I can't wait to share your story and your wisdom with the listeners today. So start by sharing with everyone, how did you get into this crazy world of real estate in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I actually started, I was in finance and was not in love with my job and what I was doing. Uh, maybe I was good at it. Maybe I wasn't, but I was able to have enough money to go out and buy some real estate. And while I was there, you know, I get it, you know, I started getting some ads, uh, started reading some books and found myself in like the tax deed space because it was something that I could buy with my own money, learn, mess it up, do well, and I didn't need much help. So ended up diving in there, ended up buying some awesome properties, uh, learned a whole bunch and, uh, you know, sort of cut my teeth in some super heavy lifting projects right out of the box. Um, and that, you know, and that part led to where we are today, just by taking that same heavy lifting approach to, uh, multifamily and mobile home parks. The tell, okay. So there's so much there. Start with the tax deeds side of things. I mean, how did you even get into that? How did you even know that that was something that existed? How did you get into it? How did you have the confidence to do it? Um, tell us a little bit about that. So I'm I'm more of a shoot ready aim type person and not necessarily <laughs> dive into the education part, right? I learn by doing. So what made me get into that space was the, the exact story happens to me. I was interested in the space and I was learning about it. I was on a rooftop top bar in New York City and a kid from Pennsylvania had a stack of papers about this thick. And he said, Do you want to buy any of these properties? And you know, when you're first starting, you know, wholesale buy and rent. And I said, you own all of those? He said, yeah, I bought them all at the auction in Philadelphia. Yeah. So I said, oh, okay. And I'm looking through this sheet of paper and you know, he owned an old pickle house, a pickle warehouse. Like he had just crazy stories. <laughs> and I said, this, this can't be that hard. You know, this kid's not that old. You know, maybe he's in his thirties or early forties or something like that. And I was in my early twenties. And I said, if he could do it, I could do it. Right. You know, you could do anything you want to do. You just got to actually get out of bed and do it. So uh, I started doing research. I owned a house, a single family house in Pennsylvania that my brother lived in and we rented it to the rugby team. Um, and 
I said, let's start there because I already own a piece of property and my brother's local. So I went to an auction, told myself I wasn't going to bid on anything, but lo and behold, competitive juices get flowing, you know, former athlete. I said, I can't not bid on something. So I bought two properties, you know, total 700 bucks, you know, each with 300. They gave me a piece of paper with what at that point was a section block and lot. There was no physical address. So I had no idea how to find the property. So I went into the county office. I said, can someone show me where this is? And they're like, you got to go into the map room. And there was a guy in there. He's like, you look like you don't know what you're doing. And I said, you are a hundred percent right. All I know is I bought someone's delinquent tax. So he showed me how to find these properties. Um, they were, it was not as internet available as it is today as technology is changing. So, uh, I took that. They were, they're both worthless properties. I tried to sell them uh, doing the things that I was told to do, go to the neighbors, but they both were not worth anything. So ended up, those were garbage. But through that process, while I was trying to sell that, I went to auctions in Philadelphia and you know, I would drive, I would go from New York where I live, drive to Philly. I would drive four, five, 600 properties, drive home the next day, drive back, go to the auction, bid on some properties, win some and then you slowly get in the hang of things and you realize what you can do, what you can't do, what you shouldn't do, what you do and you're not supposed to. But, uh, you know, you learn while you're doing it. And uh, you, you're able to do that for, at that time, significantly less than going out and buying a house or buying a building or something like that. So, yeah, I sort of just cut my teeth by, you know, I think I read like a four page book that someone sent me online and just, you know, I dove in head first and, you know, realized that figured it out. Wow. Yeah. I love that mentality. Just go after it. Just, you know, (laughs) even if you lose a little bit of money, that's tuition, right? You're learning along the way and you're getting better all the time. And oh my gosh, it sounds like you really were pounding the pavement and working pretty hard to get some traction and to really learn this space. Yeah, for sure. When you first start, I mean, it's not glorious, right? You know, I I remember knocking on doors like sideways because I I, I didn't know what was going to come out of the houses (laughs) or or if I was in jeopardy of something. But uh, no, you're 100% right. I mean, I truly believe, I tell people all the time, there's nothing wrong with losing 50,000, 20,000, 10,000 on your first deal. If it's your own money and that loss teaches you what not to do. I mean, you know, we've done some not smart stuff early on you just got to put it in the memory bank and make sure you don't make the same mistake twice. Mm, Absolutely. And so when you were doing all of this work, did you have a, like, did you have a plan? Did you have a vision of where you were headed? Um, I guess there was always a vision (laughs) back there, but it really didn't come out until about 2013, 2014, when I realized I did not want to be in finance anymore. Mm. And I wanted to do real estate. That's sort of when I put that, okay, why are you doing this? Why are you going to sacrifice the things you sacrifice? And why are you going to do what you do? Um, it might've been in there. And, you know, I think the, you know, oh yeah, no, I could do this and make a lot of money. That's, I don't think that's a good reason why I think there's gotta be more, but, uh, it was there. It just wasn't articulated. Hmm. Okay. So then, so you knew you didn't want to be in finance. Did you, at that point, did you think, well, this tax deeds thing, this is it. I'm going to do this full time all the time. Or were you thinking like, maybe there's other areas of real estate um, that you wanted to get into? Yeah. So the benefit of that was, you know, I bought some properties where there was already paying tenants in there. So, you know, I would collect rent or I bought some properties that needed to be fixed and, you know, fixed. And, you know, I would buy, sell, wholesale. I did everything just by buying the tax deed because Philadelphia had very favorable rules if the property wasn't owner occupied. That was sort of the thing. And and anytime you play in that space, you have to understand the rules of the county um, for sure. But uh, I learned a lot doing that. 
but in the back of my mind, you know, that's not, that was not the, the vision. I always thought I could scale that out, you know, build a team, have them do it. Although I've realized that when anytime I brought that up to somebody, nobody actually wanted to do the physical work because it, it was not the easiest stuff and it was not glorious by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would drive down a block and, you know, kids would throw water bottles at my car. Like it was just, it was rough stuff. And I had, you know, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chris Grenzig, who's a good friend of mine and worked for us. He drove it with his cousin one day and they came back and they're like, no, we're not doing this. I was like, <laughs> I, it, it, I'm telling you it works, but uh, they, you know, they sort of, you know, ruled that out, which was fine. But uh, so because I couldn't be in two places at once, I did have bigger visions to do bigger buildings that, you know, when I transitioned out of finance, I did get my real estate license and I did end up working for Marcus and Millichap for a short period of time. And while I was there, my, my ultimate vision was to sell, you know, my exact words to my, one of the interviews was I want to sell big buildings and make a lot of money. And he said, that's great, but commercial real estate's a little bit more specific, right? You know, you know, there's all different types of product classes. And then I ended up falling into the multifamily space. And that's when I said, okay, the, you know, the fix and flip world is great. I did a couple of fix and flips. The tax seeds are great, but you have to do such scale. And I was not big on, I didn't want to do 50 deals a month. I wanted to buy one deal significantly discounted because, you know, occupancy renovations and put my energy and attention to that, get the occupancy up, rent it up, fix it up. And then it was worth more money. So that's where the vision took me after going through it on so many different times with so many different properties, uh, realizing that you're only as good as your last deal when you buy something and sell something. The multifamily side gave you a little bit of cash flow while you still buy and sell and operate. Uh, you're able to take advantage of the entire component and go along for the ride. Mm. And so you identified you wanted to get into the multifamily space and do these larger deals. How did you break into this space? So uh, Marcus and Millichap is really where the multifamily side of me, you know, came out when I thought commercial real estate, like I said before, you know, I figured, oh, I'm going to just sell, you know, I want to do industrial, right? I want to buy a warehouse or I want to sell a warehouse that I could sell the vision of a 400 unit development, but those deals take a long time. So my boss at Marcus and Millichap actually told me, what happens if you can make the same amount of money, but instead of waiting three years, you can do it in a year. And I said, okay, now you're talking my language. And he said, multifamily. And I'm still thinking 100, 200, 300 unit properties. And it ended up being six family, eight families in New York City and Ridgewood, uh, Ridgewood, Queens, Bushwick, Brooklyn. And while I was there and I was cold calling and doing proposals and getting listings and selling buildings, I just started talking to the individuals. You know, why'd you buy this? What's your plan here? And I saw what they were bringing in monthly on each of their buildings and you know, what they did and their stories, they, you know, most of the time were immigrants that came in, they worked jobs, they bought the building, they, you know, they worked at a pizza place, they bought the building that it was in. And they were just telling me that, you know, that's pretty cool. And then that was the start. So it was that Marcus and Millichap really gave me that bug. And I said, listen, this is great. But once again, as a broker, you're really only as good as your last deal. And it wasn't anything that you could live or leave like a legacy or acquire a lot of properties and get, you know, cash flow. You were more, I'm going to, list this, I'm going to sell this. I'm going to list this, I'm going to sell this, which is great. But you know, you do have a team, you do have a company and your commission doesn't go that far in the end. You got to do a lot of deals. So it just, to me, was uh, a stepping stone to the ownership side because I had the real estate experience and I liked the, uh, I liked the, everything about the real estate component. And so 
Tell us about some of those early deals that you did. Were they the six family, eight family, those smaller deals? No. So the first deal I did, I actually watched a Dave Lindahl webinar in my mom's office in Queens after I had just got, you know, my, you know, my teeth kicked in by a guy that didn't want to sell uh, about sending out a direct mailer for larger multifamily deals. Now the concept of what his little webinar was, was look for like row houses and mail the entire thing. If someone buys it, try and sell it to the neighbors, whatever. I said, okay, that's great. I downloaded a huge list. I actually think it's on my Facebook feed in like 2012 was handwritten letters. I think I sent out maybe like 3000. I wrote out every letter with my friend and sent out a ton of direct mail and a deal came in in Columbus, Ohio. It was actually 48 units, uh, 50% occupied at best. It was a disaster, but I said, you know, this is everything that you you dream about. And that was my first deal. It was a super heavy lifting, uh, super heavy lift, 48 unit deal in Columbus, Ohio. Oh my. Okay. So, okay. So you get the, first of all, 3000 handwritten letters. Oh my goodness. I think I see it a theme throughout your story <laughs> and why you've seen so much success is you're not afraid of the hard work. Most people would have listened to that webinar closed their laptop and gone on with their day and not done anything differently. And I think that's what separates the people who see success from those who don't is because the people who see success are the ones who are actually doing the non-glamorous work as you put it. I I remember watching the webinar on one screen on my laptop and downloading a list from ListSource at the time simultaneously you know, worst case scenario, you know, you sent out some letters and, you know, at that time I didn't want to, I wanted to, I had experience in direct mail in the past. Uh, we did, we sent a ton of Marcus Melchap and even prior when I was doing the other stuff. So I knew the handwriting was, it got a better response and you're hundred percent right. Most people close that, you know, they go to bed at night with a dream of, you know, waking up with an apartment complex on their doorstep and that just doesn't happen. So, you, you, but you got to take action, right? You know, it's, all, it's good to want, but, you, but do it, do what you say you're going to do. And, and there is a result at the end of the rainbow. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that first deal. So it's in Columbus, Ohio, 48 <laughs> units, 50% occupied. What did you, um, well, what were you thinking? First of all, <laughs> when you got it, you were like, oh, this is the best deal. This is the one I was looking for. Uh, I've been looking for, or how did you go about navigating um, that deal? So I sent out a ton of direct mount and simultaneously, I happened to look, I was looking in Columbus for bigger deals. Uh, all my letters, the ownership group was out of Hawaii, but they had their mail forwarded to the property manager. So the property manager was moving offices. And this was a guy that I just was talking to, to manage potential deals for me. When he was moving his office, he had a stack of letters from me. And he said, what is this? And he opened them up and he called me and he literally said, I have the perfect deal for you. This is everything you've told me you've looked at. I already manage it. The investors out of Korea and the operators out of Hawaii and the property was in Columbus. He said, I don't want you to get scared away. It's, you know, maybe 50% occupied. Half the tenants are paying at best, but here's the owner's information. So he gave me the owner's information. I called him. It was a, I remember it was a, uh, it was a Saturday morning. I picked up the phone. I called him. He answers the phone. He was an attorney. And he said, uh, the property manager at the time told me you'd be calling. I said, yeah, I'm interested. He's like, I'm listing the property on Monday. If you can go see it, it's up to you. I got in my car the next day. I drove to Columbus for 10 hours 
saw the property on a Sunday. On a Sunday, it looked great, right? I'm like, oh, it was a great neighborhood. Everything's right. perfect. I literally got there on a Sunday. I went with two friends. They jumped in the car with me. And then I drove home after I saw the property. So I drove wow. 20 hours to see my first deal. And then Monday morning, I called him. I said, don't list it. I'll buy it. What do you want? He told me his price. A little bit more than I wanted to pay. We got to the finish line. And then uh, six months into the contract, he said, when are you closing? I said, you haven't sent me one piece of due diligence. I'm not, you know, look at the contract. The contract doesn't start until you send me documents. He's like, oh. So then he sent me everything and, and lo and behold, we ended up closing on it. Um, I can tell you that the property is a disaster. There was three units that one tenant was occupying. It looked like Walmart. You'd walk in, she had shoes and clothes and she was selling her own stuff out of the building. There was one unit we walked into where a guy was sitting in a lazy boy watching TV with a PVC pipe run throughout the entire apartment and water was just dripping into a bucket. I'm like, what's this? He's like, oh, there's a leak. No one fix it. I'm like, He's living like this. There was one unit where the bathtub, the water was just running constantly out of the bathtub, like 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 full blast turned it on. And then there was another unit with 15 washers and dryers in it. So what? <laughs> I'm sitting there. I tore this deal. I mean, it was all the balconies were destroyed. The staircases. Were, I mean, it was a disaster. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. I was like, wow, this is perfect. This is like everything you read about because these are easy fixes, right? Just get rid of this, fix this occupy the property and it should be worth more. And, uh, you know, if I knew what I knew now, I probably would have done that deal a little bit differently, but we executed on it and it turned out to be a really good deal for, you know, first deal, it was great. And at the time, um, you know, lending was a little bit more challenging and there's a story behind the loan, but uh, it was everything that probably scares most people away. But that was stuff that I've seen before, and maybe not the Walmart, and the, but I've seen those situations. So I said, this is not, we're not going crazy. And the manager was familiar with the tenants that were paying and understood the situation. He said, the owner doesn't give me any money. I'm only as good as what I have. Now, inevitably, we had to fire him because he did some really bad stuff. But uh, it, it, was a, it was an amazing deal. It taught me a lot. And I was super excited that we, you know, we ended up doing it. Huh. Did you buy that deal with your own money? Did you have partners? Did you have investors? Yep. So we had, uh, I had, so it was my own deal. Um, and I ended up raising about, what was it? About $600,000. And I got a loan for about $800,000. So we were all in for one four. We ended up selling it for well north of 2 million. But uh, at the time, you know, there was a small acquisition fee on it, which I put into the deal because I put my money where my mouth is. Uh, the loan was 100% recourse, which I could not qualify for at the time because lending was extremely challenging in the early, you know, 2013, 14, 15 range. And then it started getting a little bit easier. Uh, you know, super heavy value add deal out of state. So my dad and a very good friend of mine are still a partner in some of our deals today. They both signed on the loan. My dad just took the confidence in me. My friend, I still ask him why the hell he did it because we met, you know, a year prior to that. And, and next thing I know, he's putting in a hundred grand and he's signing on a full recourse loan with me. Um, you know, he did tour the deal with me and he's like, what, what do you see here? I said, there's money to be made here. We just, we just got to figure it out. And, and he was looking for, you know, a super stable passive income and it turned into a super heavy lifting project. But, uh, yeah, no, I, we, I raised all the money except for my buddy putting a hundred and one of his friends put in some money. And then I raised the rest from, you know, some of my contacts being in finance, having some old clients, having some Marcus Millichap contacts, uh, helped, but, uh, yeah, no, we, we raised it, got a loan, you know, and then executed that business plan. Wow. 
Wow. Amazing. And so fast forward to today, I know you've done a lot more of these deals. You have (laughs) quite an incredible track record. You have a team behind you. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to now. Yeah. So today, uh, you know, we've done about 4,500 units, you know, across the Southeast and the Midwest, as far West as Mississippi and Alabama, and basically from North Carolina down to Jacksonville and out still in Ohio. Um, we look for those deals, the deals that are significantly broken. Uh, we have a deal hopefully selling in uh, early part of January that was 340 units completely vacant. We've done a handful of those going forward, um, which have all turned out to be very successful. Uh, we've seemed to excel in buying really, really bad properties and making them very affordable, safe, comfortable apartments. Uh, since that, we've also bought some mobile home parks, but our bread and butter is heavy lifting mobile multifamily or mobile home parks. Now in today's market, they're harder to find. We're not as willing to go to tertiary areas. We like to be in better areas. So the parameters are changing a little bit. Uh, we're in a crazy time, but, uh, we, we still look for those stories, those opportunities, those heavy lifts that deter people. But, uh, you know, they're, they're few and far, but you know, they're, they're very hard to find at this point because a lot of deals have been bought and sold over the last eight years. Yeah. Well, you know, it's tremendous that you've been able to build such a strong track record in something that's not easy, not easy by any, (laughs) you know, you have such a vision for these properties, which not a lot of people do. They walk in, they get scared, they leave. Um, But I love how you walk in, you see what's going on and you're like, yeah, I could do this. I can make a difference here. I can make an impact here. And you have, which is incredible. And that's one thing that a broker and a friend of mine early on when I started doing this said, he said, you know, what's the definition of a value add? And the first answer is always, well, the rents are $200 below market, the occupant 60%. He said, the, a definition of a value add is a vision that you can execute on that others don't have. Because just because the rents are $200 below market doesn't mean you're going to add any value. But if you see something, if you see you know population growth and job growth and things changing and other people don't, and you can buy into that. Now, we're not buying into just fancy visions, right? There's got to be actual proof like, this property is getting it, the property across the street is getting it. But if you can see past the overgrown trees and you know the 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 burned out building, if you could see past that and you know you can deliver on that, that is a value add. And he told me that and, and you know it still holds true today. I mean, we we bought we've bought some properties that if I've shown you the before and after, people would say, you know, that's not the same property. So um we've seen it and we, we we've experienced everything good and bad with those properties, but uh that's what he said a value add is. I think that was great advice because yeah, everyone can see 50% and 80%, right? That's easy to see. It's, you know, the plan and the vision after it, which is the tough stuff. Yeah. Well, John, I have one more question for you before we wrap up, which is for those listeners who maybe, and I'm sure there are a lot who are inspired by your story, but maybe they're at the, the, the starting line or maybe they're just getting started. What could you tell them? What insights, what advice would you leave them with? So I normally would say dive in and, and make the mistake, right? You know, do it. But in today's world, you know, listen, everything's a little bit more expensive. So the learning experience can be a little bit harder, but uh, you have to add value to a situation. That's the biggest piece of advice I give everyone. If there's something you're bringing to the table that you can execute on better or 
the person you're working with can't do it. If you bring value to the situation, nine out of 10 times, it's going to pay off. And and there's something there at the end of that, but, uh, and dive in, right. You, you still got to get in. So, you know, if you're sitting on the sidelines, it's what ifs, you know, make a mistake. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. So, so bring value, dive in. And, uh, you know, the, the rest is, you know, the rest is, you know, to be determined. So good. Such a key insight too. And, you know, it, part of it is knowing what's needed and having that vision, but part of it is also knowing what you excel at and what you're good at and what you can bring to the table and sort of finding that complimentary match. I love that. Such a 100%. great piece of advice. All right, John. Well, I know that our listeners are going to want to follow up with you, learn more um, and dig into all that you're doing. So tell them what's the best place that they can go. Yeah, My email is the best. Uh, I'm horrible at social media. I'm very bad at it. But uh, my email is John, J-O-H-N, at Toro, uh, T-O-R-O-R-E-P, realestatepartners.com. Um, if you just shoot me an email, say, you know, you heard me on this podcast, you know, you know Annie, Julie, whoever, uh, and just, you know, reach out. Because I, I put that out there hoping that people reach out to me because just like that first story, you know, 90% of people won't do anything. But, you know, whether you're super experienced or you've never done anything. You know, you, you gotta you gotta build a good database of you know contacts for the situations that you find yourself in. So I uh, you know I encourage people to reach out. Oh, love it. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing your story, John. To all our listeners, you heard him. Be sure to take him up on that offer and follow up with John to learn more. He's such a wealth of knowledge. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight. If you are a real estate investor or syndicator who would like to be on this podcast, please visit syndicationspotlight.com. And please also join the Real Estate Syndication Spotlight Facebook group so we can connect with you and learn more about you. And if you got something out of this episode, we'd love it if you could subscribe to this show and give us a rating and review. We promise to read your feedback and take action to continue to make this show even better and more valuable for the real estate syndication community. My name is Annie Dickerson. And I'm Julie Lamb. Thanks for listening. And thank you for being a part of the real estate syndication spotlight community.